I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, my name's Grace Campbell. I'm a comedian and feminist campaigner, and ever since podcasts started, I've been telling my dad he should do one. Dad say hello hello i am alistair campbell i am also a campaigner and i fear i inspire a lot of grace's comedy and what's our podcast dad our podcast is called football feminism and everything in between because because football is my passion feminism is your passion and we are going to be talking to interesting people about those two things and everything in between like brexit no dad there is more to life than Brexit. So we're in Paris we are. today, which we're very excited about because there's a big football tournament going on in France at the moment, isn't there? The Women's World Cup is big. Big, and it's been going down quite a storm. Lots of people are watching it. The opening game got 10 million In France, yeah. Viewings. 10 million viewers, yeah. Um, England versus Argentina, that got... Six. I think England Scotland got over six. Um, I think it'll grow with England still in the tournament. Yeah, definitely. But uh, yeah, so we're we're actually on the outskirts of Paris in a place called Arcay. Not the most glamorous of venues. No, but we're very excited because we're about to talk to someone who has played a massive role actually in representing women in sport in the UK, hasn't she? She has. She was a sportswoman herself, a very good gymnast, but sadly her career ended. When she was 19. Through, through injury. Uh, her father was a very famous footballer, Terry Yorath, Leeds and Wales. Uh, husband, famous Scottish international rugby player. So I guess most She is more guessed. than the men who define her. Of course, but I would just say she's lived her whole life in sport. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but she's now probably better known as one of our foremost sports presenters and broadcasters. And she's becoming, for the BBC, uh, one of the main faces of this World Cup. Exactly. So why don't we introduce our guest this week at the Women's World Cup is Gabby Logan. Twenty nineteen, we're at the Women's World Cup, which is in France, and this week there was a bit of backlash online because there was an all female lineup of pundits uh, which you were hosting, and I that it made me really angry that there were people coming out on the internet and saying this isn't equality and and sort of what is this about? Jamie Vardy's wife, Jamie, Rebecca Vardy, but so I was I was I got into a hole reading some of the things that people had written, and it was all triggered by that girl Sam Quek, who's yes, a hockey player, yeah, who yeah. said I've never seen a more beautiful and competent uh, pun, like t- set of pundits in my life and I just thought that was really interesting about the way that we still p- the public are still viewing women's mm. football and that we can't have a line well, of I all females if it was a little bit of a backlash because Alex last year was the first female pundit to talk about men's football at a men's world cup I mean I'm not talking about presenters I'm talking about pundits yeah. ex-players and I wonder if there was some kind of if that really was a bit of um, a dig those those men who felt that well now you should have men talking about women's football which we have always had mm. when i first started doing it at the bbc back in 2007 gavin peacock was one of our pundits who regularly did it i've always worked with men on jonathan pierce has always done the women's mm. football he loves doing the women's football dion dublin was in the studio last night mm. so we have got men working on this world cup but it is interesting the kind of thing i mean the kind of stuff i've been reading today is about the viewing figures so we did really well last night we got 5.4 million that nearly, was for um, that Argentina. was Argentina. Argentina we got um, almost 30% of the share of 
viewing public. So re- it's really strong audiences are watching this. And there were comments underneath, like, why are you so obsessed with the audiences? Is it because you're trying to prove it? Now, the Men's World Cup, the audience is released every day. You know, the BBC is constantly releasing audiences to kind of justify, obviously, that, that this is a very important thing. People want to watch it. And also the cost of the hotels. So it's <laughs> 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 50 euros. <laughs> and so audiences is a thing that happens whatever, whether it's the Olympics. Whether, this is not just unique to women's football. However... It does validate for me that there is an interest. That's a huge audience. We've got 6.1 million watching the Scotland game. That's a massive audience for a Sunday tea time. So if there's an audience that has got the appetite for it, I'm not quite sure why people are so... um, They want it to go wrong. I think there are people who want it to fail. And they're like, why are you telling us what the audience is? Well, because we do that anyway. And what I've realised is that there is going to be a percentage of people who find it just so annoying that women are actually good at this. They're good at football and and they're... Bringing in crowds. You know, last night there was, I think, about 20,000 at that game. There were probably a few thousand seats in total empty. But when you look at the stadium, it looked full because mm. you know what a stadium is like when it... It did, it yeah. Kind of, and I'd said something about it being full and immediately... It doesn't empty look seats, full to me. And then, yeah. Hashtag empty seats. Yeah, and you're like, I'm, I'm looking here thinking, I can see the odd blue seat, you know. But generally, this is an amazing crowd for... A to mid- be fair, they were saying the same about the England men's cricket yesterday. I think there's just a certain class of people who just like saying that anything on telly is shit. And I'd be asking them, why do you watch it? Yeah, yeah, but I do I do think there is a particular thing with the Women's World Cup and women's football where there are people who want it to Fail. not be successful. Mm. Does it feel sort of weird now? Because obviously from the outside, I have observed that women, like this World Cup, it feels really different. It feels like loads of brands are really coming on board and actually lots of people who before wouldn't have watched mm. the Women's World Cup are now watching it. Do you feel that? Oh, absolutely. And we've got the, the BBC have got the Change the Game season, yeah. if you like, of women's sport. And this is the first event in that. And obviously the biggest ever uh, marketing and sponsorship deal has happened to the WSL now. They've got £10 million deal with Barclays, which is still small fry compared to what men's football you know, can achieve in terms of its marketing. But women's football has got much more potential for growth. You know, men's football is kind of at saturation point, isn't mm. it? So if you're a brand, and you're, you, you're paying top dollar and mm. there's no more growth to be had, really, with women's football and women's sport. There is so much growth to be had. You know, we all know we don't need to go in here into the 50 years of no women's football in England because of it being banned by the FA. And in terms of catch up, you know, there's... It's really interesting, that story, though. Yeah, it's incredible. I did a piece for The One Show a few years ago. Yeah. And, um, and I just find it you know fascinating so people still don't know it you know that yeah, no, could you tell that story because i think a lot of people or, or you can because dad's no, done, I, I, been doing I, a lot of research yeah well it's, i had no so idea Dick Her ladies was a team that played uh football in preston, in preston uh, during the war and um, the men all went off to the war and uh, the women worked in the munitions factories they worked obviously doing all the kind of male jobs uh, the bus drivers that you know and they played football and they got crowds of fifty thousand. i think i think the boxing day crowd was close yeah. to fifty thousand, wasn't it for 10, the thousand outside yeah, and um, and were very entertaining, and people loved watching them, and they you know really took off. And then when the men came back from war, uh, there was a feeling that they wanted to kind of reclaim their masculinity. Obviously, I, I'm this is my perception yeah. of what was going well, they on. Ju- no, they said it's not an appropriate well, game they, for women well, to the, play. The FA said yeah. that women would get damaged if their ball hit them in their um, stomach region, and they wouldn't be able to have children, yeah. and so it was dangerous, so they couldn't play it. So it was banned for 50 years, and wow. to, um, so uh, to the early 70s. At that point, people in, women in, by this point, women in America, kind of women in Scandinavian countries were all playing football, women in Germany were playing football, so if you wanted to play football in the UK at that time, there was just no opportunity, mm. and obviously it then became a man's sport, didn't it? So, yeah, man's game. while it's a culturally man's game. in other areas, it's been seen in America, it's it's Which is just so no interesting, yeah. kind of idea of it being a man's sport. It's it's for both genders. Do you th- so. Just on the Americans, like when they battered Thailand thirteen mm. nil the other day. Do you think if America in the men's World Cup had been beating a team thirteen nil, and after the thirteenth goal, the men were celebrating? Do you think anybody would have? created a fuss about that no I don't my sister lives in the States and she was texting me she was just incandescent with rage about this you know because it's obviously yeah. was huge on American television she said have you got this story you, are you running this story is this you know a thing and I said well I'm aware of it but we're not you know because I just think Man City absolutely thumped oh. Watford in the FA Cup did they stop celebrating no they didn't stop celebrating and the reason the American women were celebrating they beat the record at 11 yeah. so once the 12th goal had gone in they were now the biggest scoring can you imagine 
if England's men last summer stopped celebrating against Panama, which was the most one-sided match I'd seen in a long time in a World Cup, you know, they wouldn't have stopped celebrating. I definitely, there was a definite bias. Sexism. about Yeah, there's a double about standard that, yeah. about the way that but women... But as my sister said, she said, it just feels to me like if there's everything is kind of, you know, there's this double standard of almost about every single thing that goes on with women's football. And some of my male colleagues here, because um, they've worked more closely with women's football for the first time, and one of the guys I worked with, he said, it's like everything has to be justified. Every mm. single, you know, the crowds, the goals, you know. If Why a, we're here. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> Does this feel like sort of growing pains, though? Do you think this is because it's actually on the cusp of Yes, I do think acceptance. that. I do think that. Yeah. And I think the first match, the opening match, France against South Korea at the um, Parc de France, which, you know, is 44,000 stadium, a packed uh, opening ceremony. The French public absolutely loved their women's performance that night. Great goals. And it felt, that felt like a, a, wow, this is, this World Cup feels different already, you know. And I looked around and there were men and women and families. It wasn't just young girls and women, you know. It was, this is, the most important thing to me is that every crowd has a balance of the sexes because there's no point having women's sport only watched by women, you Mm. know. And seeing little boys and their sisters or, you know, grown men and their wives. It doesn't matter who, but to see that was brilliant and it felt like, this is this this is going to be. I think a, it is a game changer. You know, to to use that our kind of umbrella. Do you think um, the BBC are surprised by the numbers? I think both. Yeah, I think both the England matches have surpassed our expectations. Mm. I said last night we were sat after the game, and I said I really hope it hits four million because that's a good Friday night audience. You know, and when we heard five point four peak this morning, we were just all quite. What did Scotland, wow. Scotland Japan get? Scotland got in. The, bear in mind that was in the afternoon. Yeah. It got one point three. Right in the afternoon so that's you know that's a pretty good audience for daytime the uh usa thailand game on bbc4 uh got close to a million on bbc4 so you know that's a usa that's usa thailand you know so um i think one thought i had watching the scotland game Mm. don't shout at me right but that's always like a no but the japan japan's first goal there's not a woman goalkeeper in the world i don't think who could have reached that so apart from Argentina's, yeah, she's pretty amazing. <laughs> she's yeah, pretty she's amazing, but, and she's had twins, and she retired for no. like seven years or something. Really? Yeah. So, <laughs> would it be? Is it? D- is you're, it about, you're going to tell me about the goals now. I am, yeah, I am. <laughs> I bet but you get this a lot. The, if, that's, if that, well, it's become the kind of argument of yeah. the tournament, hasn't it? Because, Has it? Yeah, well, Emma Hayes, the Chelsea yeah. coach, had suggested this as a potential modification. To okay, the I didn't know that. Yeah, um, that there were smaller goals yeah, or shorter. And down. I kind of feel well, taller goals. There would be more. We would have loads more high-scoring matches if that was needed, and we don't. We don't have loads of high-scoring matches. The high-scoring matches come with a massive disparity in teams you know the usa is excellent you know Mm. they play college uh level really you know high level they play professionally obviously thailand is most of their players i think all of them play in thailand you know so they are not um in terms of level we have got still i think a tier kind of gap if you like you know it's a bit like premier league playing non-league almost yeah. Yeah, yeah and you know you get the odd one in the fa cup where it kind of comes off but very rarely do you get those kind of right. match. but then you don't get a massive score line no, you it's know. true so i think if you and if Scott, we, actually the scotland goalkeeper was good yeah but she was yeah. never going to save that no but but you know i think the goalkeeping has always been one of those thorny issues and the women i've noticed the women footballers i work with the pundits they're quite um sensitive about that because it has been a criticism in the past about the goalkeepers aren't good enough but actually I think so we've seen some really good goalkeeping oh Correa the Argentinian she goalkeeper was unbelievable was incredible mm. and, and she only came back into the sport because she bumped into the coach at um, uh, some tournament and he said you should come back out of retirement and she's 36 wow. and and so she's she was a real inspiration last night. I thought, I, 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 surely she's going to be very sought after now. Well, I did say to my client, I said, if she, she could play in the WSL if she wants to. Yeah. But, um, and I, I think the, the goalkeeping thing, they will just get better and better, the goalkeepers. You know, that's uh, with professionalism and, mm. you know, the... But you obviously yeah. is the thing in America that, that basically that's a generation of like female footballers who have been doing it for a lot longer in the sense that they've been really investing into like yeah. young. Well, I lived in Canada as a kid. My dad played football there. And even then in the 80s, you had um, loads of girls soccer clubs, you know, whereas in England, when I came back to England, nobody, nobody played football. You couldn't even get the ball off the boys in the playground. There, would, there wouldn't be an opportunity. So that in North America was seen as a girl's sport as much as a boy's. Interesting. Okay, so basically, Gabby, we ask everyone on the podcast, um, on a scale of one to ten, how much of a feminist 
they are and also on a scale of one to ten how much of a football fan they are and usually we do them at different points but because you're sort of the perfect guest on this podcast we're going to ask both of those questions now so okay. on a scale of one to ten how much of one a feminist being, uh, not, not feminist. much ten being you know feminist feminist okay and, and same for football fan so I'm probably 10 on both, I would Great. say. Great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the first time I've had that. <laughs> what did Jamie Carragher say about being a feminist? He, he was really he, he went from like four to seven. Oh, yeah. did he? Yeah. Up yeah. The... After I explained, it just feminism just means equality. It was like, yeah. oh yeah, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> Maro yeah, so... Itoji, by the way, has given us, the I think, the best description of what he's, I think he's been the best on what femini- the definition of feminism but you're a 10 on both. That's so, very cool. Well, I can't, I can't see where... I mean, if I said nine, then I would think, well, what's And that? you're a Newcastle One fan. Ga- yeah. So okay. what you're saying, that makes me an eight. No, not at all. <laughs> but dad was wondering why that is, because you uh, so were born when in I went, Leeds I went family. to university uh, in Durham. Um, when, so when I was four, we left Leeds. My dad stopped playing for Leeds. Were you four when he stopped at Leeds? Yeah, and he went to Coventry. And then so oh, I get three it. years okay. there. Then we went to Vancouver. Then we came back to Leeds. Right. And then he was at Bradford. And then he was at Swansea. And then he was at Bradford. And then he was at Wales. So all the time I'm following whoever he's with. Right. And then I had my own sporting life because I was a gymnast. So my weekends then became my sporting life. And then when I went to Durham, my mum had uh, a small football agency and she had a player who went to play for Newcastle and he was from Cyprus and his wife didn't speak any English and she was very lonely so my mum said if you pick her up from university and take her to the matches I'll give you £10 because my mum didn't have to drive up every week to the matches so I used to get 10 quid for going to St James's Park so for about four months I was loving this it was a great Saturday job and then the player who was called Nicky Papavasilou had misunderstood his contract and didn't realise he had to pay tax so he left um <laughs> and it's easily done. I lost my Saturday job. Um oh. but I then started going out with the Geordie at university right. and he was a lifelong Newcastle fan. And then I started working for the radio station in Newcastle and you know, and Kevin Keegan arrived and you know Makes sense. so um, So how yeah. how how much of your football fandom is how much of the ten is Newcastle and how much is football? I would say 80% is football right. in the sense I, I love watching Newcastle United and I love going to St James's Park but in a practical sense it's almost impossible when I work so many weekends yeah. on sport it's really hard to get to the ground and it's hard to get to games so so, I'd, say, I'd say 80% do you ever, is Burnley yeah so, so the rest of it is right. is you know the the game I mean there's a lot of maybe, maybe it would be 90% in the sense that there is a percentage of the game that frustrates me you know so and I sometimes wish that it could sort out certain issues that are I feel like I defend football a lot you know yeah. and I I wish it didn't have that aspect but I think there's the reason that it does have that aspect perversely is what makes it so important because football is a microcosm of so many things in society I think that are sometimes wrong and whether that's displaying attitudes of racism and homophobia and sexism and actually football could be such a good force for good and such a positive and has been at times yeah and i think it has the power and potential to change lives in that respect so so it's kind of a double-edged sword On, on the one hand it highlights a lot of ills in society but it also can correct things and it can help to promote yeah. a much better but, tolerance but do you feel being here at the moment covering the world cup the women's world cup for a big audience in the uk do you see that obviously it's entertainment it's football but do you see that as part of the the struggle for equality more broadly yeah, when I was asked to do this last year, there was a bit of me, because I've spent a lot of time away from home at big tournaments, there was a bit of me that quite fancied a bit of a summer off mm. doing, and I don't mean off completely, but just off travel away from my family. Being in very glamorous hotels. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and um, getting Deliveroo <laughs> later on. And I, but I talked to my agent about it, and I realised, and I know this, not to sound kind of martyrish or anything at all, but I just think it is a really important time for women's sport and for, and because of... Uh, the bigger picture for women you know because I think sport as I say it has that ability to change lives and it's empowering and it's not about a little girl turning on the telly and deciding they want to be a footballer but a little girl turning on the telly and thinking I thought that was for men Mm. I wonder what else in the world I thought was for men I could be and I can see and I can do so it's sport you know I get inspired by when I do athletics I get inspired by some of the athletes I work with I get inspired by other sports people but not because I want to be them they just make me feel like anything is possible yes. in other areas. Well, I was thinking so. that watching the match last night that some of the England players have their eyelashes, acrylic nails, hair extensions. I was like, this is so cool that like you're doing both and you can yeah. do both. And I think we one can. of the things when I first started out in this industry, when I worked for Sky 
20 odd years ago and I was one of very few women working there the biggest challenge for me people kind of always want me to say it was because everybody was sexist but wasn't the biggest challenge for me was retaining being a woman mm. in that environment and not morphing into you know what I felt like was the the people that were getting on who were men so and I think that's a, a challenge for a lot of women in a lot of male dominated areas whether it's politics whether it's totally um, you know the, you know the, the upper end of the law or wherever they want to be that is engineering whatever it is so you were allowed to still be women because actually those there are certain aspects of being a woman uh, that are really beneficial to you know problem solving or you know there's we all know that we all have different traits whether they're masculine feminine or whether they're just idiosyncratic to our personalities so why try and stifle those to be like the person that you see getting on yeah well because it's really interesting like I've never loved men's football but I've gotten really into the women's world cup and actually watching the game last night I was like I have not been bored once this whole match and I think it's something to do with how much I love women (laughs) and how much more I care for them no offense but you were you born and as soon as you remember did you love football it was always just always part of my life so I don't remember starting to think about it do you know what I mean it was just always there so going to matches was always something that we did watching football was part of did you like it because Jamie Carragher's saying his daughter and his wife and his mum actually don't really enjoy it very much yeah I think I became quite invested in my dad's emotions do you know what I mean so I knew that he'd be happy if I went I watched the game and he'd played and won and he was you know he was so so it became an emotional attachment do you have no memory at all of his glory days at Leeds no, I don't. Oh, I remember going. Um, now I remember being at my granny's house. My granny owned the cafe opposite Ellen Road, which is where my mum and dad met. And um, I'm, she used to, on match days, she would have me after the game. She'd take me back to her house. And my mum could come and pick me up. And I remember hearing the grandstand music and my mum and dad arriving back to pick me up. You know, and always very glamorous. You know, my dad in his suit, my mum looking great and everything. And that was kind of the football, the early football memory. I was probably about three or four. You know, right. at that point. But then bit later when we went to Coventry we started going to the matches and I but I don't remember Leeds particularly but I get told so many I mean I remember I travel in the world before I was married people had my surname they would say Yoris mm. you know being in America or wow. something they go you're not related to that Leeds United player are you or you know wherever we went because they were such a kind of famous t- my yeah, sister still so lives famous, in Vegas yeah. and well lives in Vegas and she's still a Yoris how many of that team could you name, Grace? That the the, the your Leeds team. How many could you name? Because you're I'm, a big football I'm, fan. Now, she just says she just says she doesn't like <laughs> yeah. men's football. If, if she knows that team, I, I have to say more power yeah. to you for the, for the conversation that you must have at the dinner really, table. Really, <laughs> uh, Oh well, Charlton. Joe Jordan was my godfather, and Gary Sprake was my sister's godfather. Right. Um, wow. And, I love Joe Jordan. And then the Gray brothers. Obviously, they were good. Yeah. So Eddie Gray still has a lot to do with Leeds, and um, my dad sort of goes down to Ellen Road and sees him as well did you so. always feel that you sort of had to like have an opinion on football no not at all no. and no, this is so even though I was going to watch it and I enjoyed it I never thought I would ever work anywhere near it you know wow. I didn't I had my own sporting interests and then I was when I was about 15 I was on Blue Peter and I thought live TV was very exciting and maybe I'd like to do that but I wanted to do a degree because nobody in my family had been to university so I went and did a law degree I started working in local radio when I was there as a Saturday job and that whole kind of sporting connection only came about because at the end of my show, I started doing a breakfast show when I graduated, I'd always go down to the sports team because in local radio, the local team is everything. So, yeah. you know, I'd be just sit and chat about Newcastle United for an hour and the producer, the head producer said, you're always with the sports team. Why don't you do Saturday interviews at St. James's Park, do the post-match interviews? And that was, I genuinely thought that was, a, that was about as far removed from where I thought my career was going to go as if I'd worked in a shoe shop on a Saturday. Mm-hmm. I had no sense that that would event, you know evolve into anything else it was just fun that was a fun thing to do so it was never a sense of having a strong opinion when I was a kid we didn't sit around the table we were more like to sit and debate politics than we were ever to debate mm. football because my mum wasn't that interested you see so right, what, what's the um uh, how on a scale of one to ten how big a gymnast fan were you then was that obsessed was that, right yeah so Still how, are? no yeah. so what was it like to have to call it a day at 19 horrendous yeah it was awful I was I was younger than that I was I wasn't even 18 and I was I just so what happened you got I just got a bad back and it got to the point where I was doing my A-levels the Olympics was a year away there were two girls who were better than me and I thought I'm not going to catch them in this year my back's bad get my A-levels and you know and I I didn't it, I'm obviously pricing this into a very short story but I was 
agonizing about how I would be because that was my reason for being and I spent so much time thinking about it doing it how long had you been doing it for when did you start it's a bit kind of like gymnastics I've always done it yeah but when I was 10 I started to really focus kind of you know more intently on it and when you're that age obviously you know things become big don't they in your world and you're um you have nothing else to worry about you don't pay a mortgage you don't <laughs> you don't have to worry about anything else so that's you're so ambitious yeah, as well that was my saw. life yeah so I what I was worried about mainly was I just I'd break down in tears thinking nothing's ever going to give me a buzz or a sense of excitement or a sense of achievement like that and I couldn't I thought oh everything in life's going to be second best to doing this and in some ways it is <laughs> you know in some ways you don't get that and that's why a lot of sports people have a problem with transition because that's so young for that to happen yeah but at least I'd never earned a living from it and hadn't kind of you know it was I had a very you know mediocre sporting career compared to some so I knew that I had a degree to go and get and I knew I had you know more to do in life but I think for sports people who leave in their mid-30s having done that since Mm. they were small boys Mm. or girls that transition is we were discussing this actually at home the other day because Kenny somehow he I don't know he because he's not academic he had terrible dyslexia and left school at 15 without anybody diagnosing it hadn't done one public exam but he started a business when he was 25 still playing rugby because he knew that he couldn't rely on rugby being you know it's not like football um that it was going to be a living forever kind of thing so he had that transition almost like mapped out for himself so that there was a natural segue for him to kind of go into that 10 years down the line and we were discussing that the other day and I said, did you ever feel, because I never remember him feeling at all bitter about the end of his career or sad. And he's like, I absolutely felt the only thing I hadn't done was become a British and Irish Lion. There was nothing more I could do about that. But everything, I had no regrets. And I think if you have no regrets in your sporting career, then it does lead to potentially a happier transition. When, when I was in that soccer aid with him, he, he always struck me as somebody with a really, that, that kind of sunny disposition anyway. Does it, is that right? He's incredibly positive. Yeah. yeah, he's very positive. And and that's not to say that things haven't gone wrong in his life, you know, and he's he's had real tragedy, lost his cousin about the same time I lost my brother, who was like a brother to him, you know. But he has got a very positive outlook. Mm. And um, and the thing I always admire about him as well, he doesn't get um, doesn't get wound up by things and people he's really good at kind of compartmentalizing Mm. things and just working out what's what's to be bothered about and what's not you know do you think you're taking um more seriously than other women might be doing what you do because your dad was a footballer and your husband was a rugby player i think well i didn't at the start i didn't have kenny in my life you know i mean i didn't meet him till i was in uh, five six years into my career but definitely i think at the very start when I was working at Sky, I remember a few weeks in, George Graham came in and sat on set and I had to do an interview with him. George Graham Grace, like tell our listeners who George yes. Graham is. <laughs> hey, George from yes. Leeds. Uh, well, that's a, not a bad guess, but um, <laughs> Arsenal is the team that he's normally so, so is he, but yes, They yes. just hired um, Arsene Wenger and he'd been a famous, George Graham had been a famous Arsenal manager. He was coming in to talk about that in the studio and he was a Scottish, um, very old school in lots of ways. Um, and a real kind of gentleman and, you know, very smart guy. And he sat down and he said, how's your dad? Is he all right? And uh, great accent, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and I said, oh, yeah, he's good, he's good. And that was a moment where I, I felt accepted in this community, you know, and that was really important. Just And I knew that people in the gallery had heard. I knew, And I kind of felt... Oh, okay, that's I'm all right here. I can I'm talk gonna, to George Graham. Yeah, I can talk to George Graham. Football. Yeah, mm. and we'll be all right. And and I had loads to learn, and I had loads to you know um, g- go through. But at that point, and very early on, I thought it's all my the fact that my dad is who he is. At least people will understand I've grown up in this environment. If maybe I don't know everything about you know every team that's ever existed and every tactical permutation that that team's ever played, or but at least they understand that I get the culture. You're savvy, but it's with the culture it. as well of yeah. the sport, I think, and the respect for people who support it. Yeah. And do you support Wales or Scotland or England? Um, I support Wales. Yeah. Including against Scotland um, in the rugby. When well, Kenny was in, the rug- in the rugby, that was always really tough because I wanted Kenny and I want and I, his teammates to do well, and so I, I always wanted him to win. Basically, yeah. yeah. So that was quite hard. But I used to, I used to say it was a win-win because when I first met Kenny, they were beating Wales, and then towards the end of his career, they weren't. <laughs> you got both. <laughs> yeah. And are you, so, are, you in the, are you in the anyone but England? No, absolutely not. not. No, but it's interesting. Last year at the World Cup, I had a really good time last year in Russia because England did better than you know and when you're working with a team you want them to be 
easy yeah. to interview. You want them to feel. Mm. And you had a great World Cup. And Gareth was amazing to yeah. as a manager. And somebody on Twitter said, the reason I like you is because you're so professional. You never say we, you always say England. I was like, that's because it's not we. <laughs> 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 and I just that thought it was so, so funny. funny. <laughs> I was like, yeah, th- that's right. Yes. I mean, I you never say we. Yeah. <laughs> Grace, I don't think we should tell people what I did at the Maradona film. No, that, well, go on then. Because you just, yeah. you're gagging no, no. say it now. <laughs> In fact, uh, Kelly Coates and I were there. I think we were the only two who were not sort of, that, that booing, bothered booing about and, booing and hissing handball. about the hand of God when it came out. You've got to see the Maradona film. It's yeah, amazing. a friend of mine was involved in it actually yeah. and um, asked me to go along. I think it was the premiere was a couple of weeks ago, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. it was fantastic. Yeah. Did you um, just like, so you're 10 out of 10 feminist? Um, why didn't you keep your own name? Um, you're a traditionalist. I think part of it, maybe it was a bit, but part of it was also, I think, separating myself from that very famous name. And, and being having my own right. identity, even though it was somebody else's identity. <laughs> but if, and uh, Logan's not a name that everybody would instantly go, oh, Kenny Logan. Whereas Yorath, yeah, it's Yorath. very people distinct. would go, oh, Terry Yorath. You know, you never yeah. hear, you hardly ever hear Yorath. No. So, um, my, my dad was quite uh, very rare for him to kind of really have a strong opinion. He was quite upset in a way that I wasn't going to be a Yorath anymore, and he was quite surprised that I wanted to you're not have another name. anymore <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah I remember Brian Barwick who's the head of ITV yeah. at the time sitting me down with Des Lynham and telling me I shouldn't change my name and that um it would allow me to have privacy in my life because I'd have a, a life where I was Logan away from telly and then I'd have my public name which was yours mm. I didn't quite get their mm. argument yeah um, I think he was trying to get you to keep a famous name exactly um but I sat and I sat there going, no I think I'll do what I want actually I think so I'll how old is your dad now 59. Sorry, 69. Sorry, yeah, 69. God, I thought, tell me what, he's still younger than me. 69, 69. Yeah. 60, he was born in 50, so it's easy to work. Yeah, 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 69. Yeah. yeah, both my parents are, well, my mum's 69. Is he well? 69. Uh, he's all right. He's okay. Yeah, he's all right. Yeah. And I wanted to ask about, uh, you mentioned your, your brother. How, just, I know it's, I don't want to sound mawkish, but I've often, I just cannot imagine getting over something like that as a parent. Yeah, well, I don't think I don't think do um, in a way you ever do, and the family changed forever. You know, obviously my parents have ended up getting divorced, which was a direct consequence of of that, and the way my dad handled things differently to my mum, and you don't know, don't know how one open one. Yeah, and my mum was on a journey of discovery and a voyage of kind of you know mm. find enlightenment and finding out, kind of wanted to know all the questions of the universe kind of in one go mm. and why were, why were we here what was you know what was the point where, but she did that in a very methodical way she'd go and sit in on kind of Buddhist groups or she'd go and meet a priest or she'd go and see, talk to a rabbi or she you know she went on a very um, a tangible journey if you like and lots of reading and lots of chatting to people who've been through similar experiences whereas my dad um, was quite um, he could be quite a negative person anyway or he could see he would see the the disappointment or the, uh, the kind of downside of a situation quicker than my mum. And, and that kind of confirmed to him that everything was rubbish. You know, that was kind of his, his basically his overarching take on it. And, and he didn't want to speak to people. He didn't want to do that. And, and how do you, you know, when two people marry, you don't know how you're going to, you're not going to sit down and go, how will you react in this mm. situation? Mm. Well, I will, I will react like this. This won't work. And I always remember somebody saying to me, um, apparently 75% of couples eventually split up after the death of a child. And if you imagine like, two people leaning on each other in a marriage and there are times when one of you needs to lean a bit more than mm. the other you're mm. both but if you're both mm. like you know the pressure is just literally mm. too great mm. and so it's not really a massive surprise that the statistics for marriages surviving yeah. are so disappointing and mm. and you know it was so the so the family changed forever because what of that when, when so i was 19 when he died and then i was 30 when my parents eventually split up but my little brother who's living at home the rest of us my sister was modeling so she was in I think she was in Sydney or Tokyo when he actually died. I was having a gap year and I was living in London. Um, there was only my little brother and Daniel at home. And my little brother was six at the time. And I, it, he's the one I feel the most for because we had a really lovely childhood, the older three, you know. And we had incredible opportunities and saw and did amazing things. And my dad was traveling around, you know, the world playing football. And, and he then had these two parents just, you know, fulfilled with grief for a very long time mm. and so that was a, it's like a different family almost yeah. you know and um and so I think it does 
you know, a time obviously heals in the sense of, you know, the rawness of grief. But um, but I don't, my dad is never really. Never got over no. it. No. And, and is it, is it, do you think it's affected you as a parent in terms of, you're very close to your kids, yeah? Yeah, yeah. I don't think it's affected me. How hard me. is it when you're away from them like this? Um, it's, in some ways it's easier when they're older because they're so much we always like to have one parent there so you know we manage to somehow always have one of us around um um it's easier because they're so busy and they've got so much they want to do and they're not you're not having to fill their days with things they've they've got Mm. their own agendas of what they want to do you're more like their pa stroke you know kind of (laughs) taxi driver um grace nods no are they good at sport yeah they are yeah they're they're pretty good yeah yeah um so they're really sporty and they're into all their you know things that they do but I do miss them and I get quite wistful for kind of I was just looking through my phone something popped up today and it must have been a memory that pops up when it was about seven years ago and I I looked at them and just was kind of I felt I was sat actually at a cafe just in Paris thinking oh I shouldn't have been away that particular summer and I should have but I think we have been lucky that we spent so much time you know been able to do so many great things with them and they're not they're not grown up yet you know what I mean like we always Kenny and I always say our weekends are mental because they're doing so much sport we're always off here then but we look at each other and say well four years time five years time they'll be 18 they'll Mm. either be at university or they'll be off doing their own sport somewhere else so it's such a short period of time to to be knackered (laughs) well my daughter's already told me she's not going anywhere (laughs) so you know that's kind of when you make it too comfortable well I try not to but you know (laughs) they're not stupid I think so yeah it's a hard world out there when you're young I absolutely love being a mum though I just I love that the family dynamic I love our unit you know and our kind of our team you know I mean our little team that we kind of have and how um it just is such a an invigorating environment I think having teenagers as well I love teenagers I just especially right now it's very interesting you know there's never been a time where like a parent child generation has been so different Mm. you know we had that but we didn't have social media Mm. quite like I had Facebook when I was 14 but there's never been a time where parents are so so different to their kids do you are you baffled by them I'm certain things that they're interested in I find I find really baffling um there was this phase of where kids were looking at YouTube, um, watching people playing computer games on YouTube, yeah, that yeah, kind yeah. of thing. Where I, I'd, I'd go in and I'd watch myself. What? What is this? I don't understand it. And but I'd hear myself say that and think, Oh, try, just try yeah. to understand it. It's going to be in the Olympics. Yeah, yeah. But he's, he's, he's he, luckily he's not really. really? Yeah. But um, but not watching people play. I suppose no. it is because there'll be in a yeah, crowd, won't there? There'll be a crowd there. But luckily, he's not a massive, massive gamer because I think that would drive me up the wall. He's, mm. you know. But it's there. Does he think it's exercise? No, 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 no. Because no, no. he's that's the, that's he the tricky bit. It's when they think it's exercise. No, he's very fit and he does loads of sports. So, and he's outside a lot, which is good because I, I think that would drive me up the wall mm. if he wasn't. But it's also the way they communicate, you know, because mm. obviously I think why is he on his you know he'll be watching tv but on his phone the whole time and they had they had to wait till they were 13 to get phones so i was quite strict about that and and they're strict i'm strict about data uh probably about 13 but it wasn't the same then he was the last person in his year to have a phone yeah and um even the headmaster was taking the mickey out of him going still no phone Ruben. still no phone (laughs) 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 and um and so their data that i limit their data so they're not able to do it all the time but he's like, i'm just chatting I said, what do you mean you're just chatting why do you ring up and chat somebody and he just looks at me like ring up what are you talking about i thought mm. that kind of stuff i find a bit baffling but then also like i wind my daughter up because she hates me doing boomerangs on instagram so i <laughs> so i deliberately do like almost one a day oh my god and, have um, you seen my dad's instagram it's yeah. just the worst <laughs> I said no but your, your Instagram's amazing I'm not saying that but dad, you just do not understand it well my all. daughter said to Kenny she said dad you've got to sort your stories out because you're putting stuff I've stopped doing on. stories he said, I can't yeah. be bothered he would live he thought he was storing and he'd be living but it'd be like the floor at a train station and he would live for like 10 minutes just talking to himself <laughs> Laura said dad you're putting stuff on your main Instagram page that should be on a story what are you doing this is not I'm not buying you? even my mum though even my mum's gone on Instagram and my mum said Kenny's Instagram's very odd and I was like, she's sixty-eight, as soon as I leave. <laughs> but I think, I think, it, in a way, it, quite, it does unite you, doesn't it? It does give you totally. that common, common thread, and also you can keep an eye on things that yeah. are going on. But I yeah. just find, but you know, for young women as well now, and Lois is nearly fourteen. It's such a, 
a positive place to be actually in Completely. terms of change and it and doesn't get the credit it deserves no. actually like instagram in terms of the sort of body positivity and you can follow all these cool young female activists yeah. who are doing amazing stuff i don't think that social media gets the credit it deserves because i find it very well she's very space. selective yeah and she'll, exactly she'll tell Choose me people that i should follow because this woman's really cool because she's all about positive positive body image you yeah. should follow this person and so i i think well i i've not given you enough credit to think that i have to police every kind of you know do they do they track any of the the stuff that's being said about you online lois gets more upset about things than reuben um there was he, he probably does some of it <laughs> <laughs> get that woman off the telly i'm not her again <laughs> she she doesn't she doesn't kind of you know dig into the pandora's box deliberately but if something happens that she i didn't realize that they'd there'd been this thing apparently this guy on youtube which i'm laughing about now and apparently his thing was to take a female celebrity and tell you why they were definitely transgender and so he did it to loads of and he was so with me he said the broad shoulders the fact she wears My a belt God. look at she's got an adam's apple so she hides it with a scarf and he was obviously uh, and he'd done it with michelle keegan he'd done it with loads of different people i didn't know about this right and lois got really upset about it reuben he's got kind of quite a dark sense of humor thought it was hilarious and um lois was take it down take it down you know and then i found out about it and she went mommy it's awful don't look at it it's horrible i said i'm fine i'm all, i'm really all right but i think things like that are, you don't want them i remember my dad getting abuse in football grounds you know mm. from fans i remember going to school on a monday morning and kids telling me my dad was shit <laughs> and you know that was quite i'd come out of school and, and i remember feeling i don't want to tell him because i don't want him to feel shit so i would just hide it and get these knots in my stomach and my mum said what's wrong with you nothing and i was like people think my dad's shit <laughs> it's hard i mean i've been getting it for a long time <laughs> quite a lot Grace. recently <laughs> But my my thing is now I just tell myself it's actually not about me. It's just about him. They don't actually, <laughs> well, nice, they're not actually attacking me. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? They're just attacking me, someone else via me. So I don't take it personally. But the funny thing is I don't know how you feel about your dad being sh- sharing your dad because I see my kids now, they get a little bit cross with people who come up and talk to me. Uh, who we don't know, you know, mm. just general kind of public. And of course, you're very polite. I always say Kenny's an amazing, famous person. He gives everybody such warmth and energy and to the point where I'll go, Does he? I go, who's that? And he goes, I can't believe after all these years, you think I know these yeah. people. And I go, you're <laughs> so warm to them. I really thought you yeah, did know them. That's what you're like. Dad will talk to anyone. <laughs> no, I'm pretty. You say hello to everyone on the street. <laughs> I think you're rude if they, they think you're rude if you don't. Yeah, that's true. Callum, uh, you know, I know Callum, Callum, yeah, yeah. yeah. Because the the Olympic the, uh, the was it the Paris well, the Paris yeah, yeah. Uh, I think he doesn't like it at football. No, He's yeah, because I bet it. you get it a lot of football. Yeah, I get it a lot. He doesn't like that. Yeah, the kids look a little bit. They look at people a little bit with suspicion. Like, why are you coming over? What do mm. you What do you want from my mum? Mm. And sometimes it can be intrusive. I remember being in Glasgow for the Commonwealth Games, so they were only eight or something, and it was their birthday, and we were going to a sports shop. They wanted a tennis racket each for their birthday. This guy followed us in and stood. I said, "Oh, it's my children's birthday, actually. And we're just choosing their presents." And he went, "All right, are we?" I was like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> and, actually, Wait, that was my way of saying, "Could you get out the yeah. shop?" Because yeah. I don't really want you to follow us around the shops. But um, God yeah, sake. that was peak selfie. Michael Johnson was so hilarious because he's the only person I know who literally says no to people when they ask for a selfie. But oh. he does it in such yeah. a way that the person feels that they've actually received a compliment. You know, he'll go, <laughs> "Absolutely not," <laughs> <laughs> and, and they go. Oh, and they're going to walk off going Yeah, he more. can. U- U- Usain Bolt, if I can drop another name, uh, he did say, when I did it for GQ in Jamaica, he said that the selfie is the worst invention yeah. of modern times. Yeah, it is. Imagine because, life because people don't, people didn't used to have paper and pen ready for an autograph. That was the thing, wasn't mm. it? An autograph. But everybody no, has a phone. So well, also, I think what's even worse is when people secretly film yeah. people <laughs> and you can, you look and you can see people filming dad or like that's even yeah. more Just come over and ask coming for a over picture. and saying, can yeah. I have a picture? Which is bizarre anyway, because you think, what are you going to do with this? Mm. You know, where is this well, picture it's also going? It's just probably bad quality Instagram yeah. story that like I 10 people watch. Sort of thing I would do. Yeah. I'd, gone, I'd gone to um, a, a, a wallpaper shop or something in Chelsea Harbour and I'd snuck out the house kind of in a tracksuit. I thought, I'll literally get there, I'll choose it and I'll go home. No makeup, hair scraped back. I'm leaving the lift and there's this builder who goes, Oi, Gabby, come on, oh. selfie. And I went, oh, for real? I said, come on. He went, ah, come on, you look fine. I was like, when a builder says you look fine, you know you look shit. That's kind of, <laughs> I was like, oh no, where's this going to go? Yeah, it's a weird time. It's it a really it weird is a weird, time. a weird, weird thing, mm. isn't it? So how do you feel about the state of the world that we're leaving to your kids? Um, our kids? All the 
I, wa- I read uh, Sapien when I was on holiday yeah. and uh, recently and I got to the end of it and thought, okay, we're, we're going to be all right because we always have been, you know, and mm. things have always worked out how they're meant to work out. The biggest challenge, I think, is the technological challenge that we're entering. I think the next book, Deus, actually touches on mm. um, AI and things. And that's the, something that feels a little bit scarier because we don't really know where that's yeah. going. But in terms of human beings and how we treat each other, you know, when you actually reconcile the statistics that actually few people are dying of disease, few people are dying of war, few people um, are um, uh, in slavery, few, you know, all those kinds of actual facts. You think, okay, the, the good is prevailing and we are innately, we're good people, you know, we are good and that has to keep prevailing. I think it's, it's hard to kind of find those kernels of positivity sometimes, but I think you have, you have to believe that, especially when you've got children, because otherwise, why would you, mm. why would you bring them on? You know, mm. why would you bring them up? And that my kids are very positive and you know, they get they get very despondent about big issues but i was like that at their age i was scared of nuclear war i was scared of um where we you know the miners were striking we were having strikes at school you know teachers were striking mm. um it felt like everybody was striking you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and i was really scared about how you know i, I was going to have a future so i don't think and when i remember that I think actually we've been through we've been through these periods of change and mm. periods of social change and I kind of I kind of feel like we have to remain positive. Well also I really think that that generation like the generation your kids are in and to an extent me um I'm just at the top of it really will do things differently. I really do think that. I mean Greta Thunberg is obviously the best example of that, but there are lots of people of that generation who are using social media really properly for good, reach cutting through mm. these messages. It's we're, generational. It's definitely. a generational the, thing. You know, the reason we're in the mess we're in with regard to Brexit, the reason we potentially are going to have somebody as prime minister of our country that just feels, you know, yeah, like from I mean, another century. Yeah. And the reason why America is being run by somebody who is a reality show uh, contestant or a reality show host is a generational thing. I th- I'm hope, I hope, I hope it's, right. I, I hope. I really agree. Gonna, my big worry is that it's going to normalize people like that going into positions of leadership. I hope, I hope not. Are you still with me on the people's vote? Yes, but I'm not sure that at the moment, I'm not sure we're going to, get anywhere I'm near just while we're talking I'm just somebody channel five just said would I come on and talk about Noel Gallagher who said if you don't like the result of the referendum move to fucking North Korea oh my god <laughs> Noel Gallagher <gasps> Noel Gallagher yeah oh I prefer Liam so. <laughs> <laughs> okay so dad there's a lot going on this week isn't there because of some stupid party that we have in this country uh, is deciding who their next leader is going to be, and it's dominating our news. I've got to say, if you're, if you're the editor of the week, there is so much. There have been so many articles written about the Tory leadership election, uh, and there are so many kind of photographs that they can find of Johnson and Gove looking like they but also I, need to like each other. And I also think now because there are so many different opinions on who should be the next Tory leader and on how this is all working and the fact that whoever wins is going to basically decide Brexit for us when we haven't elected them. It must be very interesting for the week to pick up all those different news sources and what everyone's saying about it. You know, I was quite surprised that the Evening Standard decided to back Boris because obviously George Osborne's one of his chums, but it felt... Bullingdon is thicker than water. Is that that a quote? I quoted it myself. Uh But I felt very... It feels really wrong that it's mm. so un London. Yeah, the week's been particularly helpful this week because I've actually been finding it really difficult to follow any of it. I watched that awful, awful, awful leadership debate, but then I can't be bothered just reading the thousands and thousands of articles about it. So actually, just picking up the week and flicking through it was quite a useful way of. It is, isn't it? And also, what a shit show it is. Yeah, and also what they do is they pick out the best sources. They don't give you everything all at once, which can sometimes be very overwhelming with the internet and social media. Um, they tell you what all the different papers are saying. They get their their information from over 200 different newspaper sources internationally as well. So they don't just tell you what 
papers and and in, and news sources in the UK are saying they tell you what people around the world are saying and and that's really cool as well to see what everyone else in the world is saying about this shit show that we've got going on here yeah well that's i think uh, what uh, when we were in france talking to people in france the other day i think they are seeing it as kind of really really grim for us and actually the week's got some quite interesting stuff about macron how he's turned his presidency around um and also what's cool about the week which is uh, similar to our podcast as i have said before is that they talk about so many different things uh so they do news obviously but they do science they do sport they do food they do culture you like cooking don't you <laughs> <laughs> no well you should maybe try i maybe should maybe think, the week will inspire you i think it's a bit late yeah i think it's a bit late. i i do agree um but i think it is you know every single week at the moment it's like the whole news cycle circle whatever is completely new with different things because so much is happening all at once so if we read a, a copy of the week from three weeks ago it already feels a bit outdated doesn't it maybe but i think you'd still have loads about the Tory leadership loads about brexit loads about trump loads about climate change. yeah but at the same time like two days ago there were other people in the Tory leadership who oh, we thought may and stay then in. there were two and now there are two and and so it's it's nice to have something physical that you can flick through at the end of the week to sum up what's happened um you and get, just you get depressed and get depressed, yeah, if you're you. Not everyone is you. Um, but, you know, that, that that is true. But I think you get more depressed looking on Twitter, if I'm honest. Yeah. It's the overwhelming sort of saturation of information that the internet provides, which The Week is a sort of antidote to. You can also get your first six weeks of The Week for free um, if you go to www.theweek.co.uk forward slash offer and then enter the offer code football you can get your first six issues for free and then after that you'll probably want to subscribe because you'll feel much cleverer and well informed goodbye okay gabby can you please tell us uh, under pressure because we've given you five <laughs> minutes to think this up your dream six aside team to change the world i'm pretty sure nobody else will have this six okay um, great so uh should i do women then men yeah. or should i mix it up, up how do you, you want it okay you you want. so oprah winfrey Probably the most obvious one of my six. Yeah, loads of people say Yeah, that. well, she's the she's your. I call her opera, but anyway. Uh, Oprah. Oprah. When she pulled my ha- hand to her heart <gasps> and looked me in the eye, I would have called her darling or anything. She really? Was just, she was. In, I was in a restaurant and uh, she was in the same restaurant, and I said to my husband, "She's my hero. She's my ultimate kind of broadcasting hero. I loved her as a kid, and I, was like, I cannot believe Oprah Winfrey's over there." And he's like, "You know what? It's like don't disturb her." And he was really kind of, "You can't go over to say hello to her, and you know you." Don't don't embarrass me. We're at the River Cafe and you, people don't do that in that restaurant, you know. So she gets up to leave and she was walking by our table and bless him, Kenny just turned to her and he said, my wife is an absolute super fan of yours and thinks you're incredible. And she just got hold of my hand and put it on her heart and said, I love you. <gasps> and oh. No, she's like, no, she is. <laughs> but she did it. She, she did it because she just loves. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, she yeah, totally. Like, she's so full of love. Yeah, and I was just, She really well, is. She was like, honestly, it was, she has an energy. I know she this does. Has, but there's an energy around her of, just positivity yeah. and I once I just, saw her at a film premiere and she was leaving and she pulled there's this girl called Clara Ampho she's yes. a radio yeah, one yeah, presenter yeah. and she like pointed at Clara in the audience and Clara stood up and she just goes you are amazing and literally everyone was like what the fuck just happened alright okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, if it yeah, wasn't Oprah on. it would have been because I think she's similarly is kind of magnetic would be Michelle Obama mm-hmm. so it's but uh, I have gone for uh, Marina Hyde who writes in the Love Guardian her. because Everything she says on fire today. Amazing, every day on fire. Yeah. I don't know how. I don't think there is a more prolific commentator of our times who I agree with mm-hmm. and want and wish to God I had the ability to put yeah. words in yeah. the order she, she does. Absolutely stuffs Boris Johnson today in a way that yeah. is wonderful. Yeah, she's she is. Yeah, I wouldn't have her as a world changer, but I think she's great. In fact, well, I, I, tweet, she, I tweeted about this morning. I said she nails it every time. I she think does. she's great. Yeah, well, but also when that you say is world changer because the way that you write yeah, and if you can people. write, I mean, she might not want to deliver the speeches, but if she's writing them and Oprah's mm. delivering them, come yeah. on. <laughs> um, uh, and because of her ability, also with words, but to deliver them and just be a force for good. And I saw her speaking once, and I was chatting about this at lunch the other day. And Alex Scott was just mesmerised that I'd actually seen this person speak as Maya Angelou. Um, oh. And uh, I think she would be 
She's just yeah. a campaign. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, amazing. Uh, men, Michael Johnson, mm-hmm. who I work with on the athletics, we have a lot of discussions about American politics and we talk a lot about social change and we talk a lot about the power of sport and um, just he's a wise owl and I don't think he does, almost I don't think he does enough in kind of publicly in those areas and he does a lot of stuff but i think people would be really surprised right. to just how well tell him to get out there gifted more. he is he does all that know? motivational stuff isn't he he's got yeah but he's been asked stuff. he's been asked to go into politics in a more um he's got a voice for it formulaic kind of way conventional I mean, yeah, yeah yeah but he's i Doesn't think he's yeah he, i think he sees kind of how it tears people apart and mm. he's but he's just really wise and um he's good yeah. He's a good person. Yeah, like that. Uh, Grace, because I was feeling a little bit... Uh, not Grace, you're not in this, Grace. No. But um, <laughs> well, I'm sure you'd be great uh, because you suggested Grace and Perry. And I just... I love what he has done around men and man's, men's role. Because the one thing we talked about kids earlier on, as much as I adore women... I do feel young men are struggling totally. and I having a teenage son, I see kind of a lot of issues that, and he's, I have a lot of discussions about feminism with my son because he goes to a boys school, not through choice and, uh, or not through his choice and not through our choice, just happens to be the area we live is not particularly co-ed. It's bizarre. Buckinghamshire is a single sex kind of area. And, um, he, uh, had a lot of his friends talking about feminazis and, you know, at 12 years old talking about feminazis. And so we had this big discussion about feminism and about, you know, what, what it means. And it was clear. I wanted, I emailed his headmaster. I said, I think I need to come in and speak to your boys because they don't seem to know what Talked feminism is. Uh, he said, oh, we have, this, we have got people coming in to talk to the boys. You know, well, as long as I'm getting through to my son, I can't yeah. worry about the whole school right yeah, now. Definitely and Grace and Perry does Grace, Perry, so Grace Perry is one of the few people actually really talking about toxic masculinity and, and the role mm. of men and yeah. how men are kind of breaking down at the moment in lots of yeah. ways. And I think a lot of this backlash about women's football is to do with that. And when I said earlier on about how force can, sport can be a force for good, it can also be a place, place that people vent their frustrations mm. and they don't know why they're angry at women playing football. They don't know mm. why they're angry that so many people are watching it, but they're just angry, angry. about something. Mm. Yeah, and, and so I think that is uh, a really important area. And this is very random because I don't even know him and I don't know, uh, <laughs> I don't know if he'd be any good, but he does seem to understand the times we're living in a professor green i like his documentaries and i think he's um he just seems a, a kid that's a kid a young man who has gone through quite a lot and hasn't allowed his circumstances to suffocate him to yeah, hold him back sure. and you know and has addressed issues head on and actually mm. in the same, your mental health yeah and so good on the same health. vein as uh Grace Grace Perry. Perry. he's that younger kind of mm. touchstone yeah. for the you mm. know and as, as the women i've got Kind of a, a little bit older. They're good. Yeah. They're all alive as How well. How would you feel if Ruben came along with a big tattoo in his neck? Like, like <laughs> <laughs> he's told me, I'm I'm having tattoos when I'm older, Mum. I'm like, okay, when we need to leave this house, you can do what you like. Um, <laughs> fine. Um, and you can do that. Yeah, my daughter's at the moment angling for a second piercing on her ears, and I said the same thing to her. I said, yeah, when you start earning enough money to pay for your piercings, you can do it. So you know, is that the right thing? Am I saying the right thing? Yeah, I mean, I just went and <laughs> did it. Did I it? got my belly button pierced the day Obama was being inaugurated because I knew my mum was watching it on she the was telly, busy. and I was like, Mum, can you just tell this woman I can get my belly button? <laughs> And then she was just like, yeah, yeah, sure, and hung up. And then I got a bit, I was 14. No, <laughs> yeah. my daughter's I not listening so to this. so much trouble. <laughs> <laughs> um, just lastly, Gabby, I wanted to ask you, men's or women's football? Oh, you can, I, no. Come on. That's like saying, which child? You know, no, it's not. Really? Yes, it is. Because you're not fit. No, because I don't think I have to. Because I, this is where my son would say to me, because he loves hypothetical questions. And he always goes, So do I. He was always like, Oh, why do you, you always have come to back choose? With yeah. <laughs> he once did this. Come on, Newcastle like, against Sunderland or uh, USA against. Uh, Canada in the final in Paris. Oh, what? So these are. You could go. You have to go see one of them. So Newcastle against Sunderland in the FA Cup and. And the line is against Gabby's team. Yeah, okay. In, yeah, no, I was, I was actually making it easy for you. USA against Canada on July the 7th. No, because it's, it's not going to be USA. England aren't going to be Because England are going to beat them in the semi-final. Do you really think they are? So, um, <gasps> Do you really think they are? I don't know, but I'm really... Do you think- I'm you really, are going to win. I really hope. <laughs> <laughs> I really hope they do because I think it's good for ratings. It, not just ratings; <laughs> it's good for women's sport. It really it is. is. Yeah. That's yeah. the thing. Um, if England and got, do well, which of the other events in the, 
through the summer. Are you, are you uh, doing the others? I will be Netball? doing... Uh, no, I'm not doing that. Hazel's doing that. I'm doing athletics, which I present all the time. So yeah. we've got the World Championships. And I could have easily had Dina Asher-Smith on that list as well, mm-hmm. by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, she's she's amazing. And I think she's got the next... The world is hers for the next 10 years if she wants yeah. to. And she can be a really positive, powerful yeah. you know female Dina, role model. Yeah. Yeah. She's amazing. Dina's yeah. event is... Can you stop? She's Prince. Yes, yes, yes. She's Prince. Yes. And she's, um, Thanks, she's a history Gabby. graduate, but she's a clever cookie. She's very, very... Um, driven and talented in a sporting arena but she finished her education so she's my kind of she's the pin up for me for my daughter I'm always going great look she got her education and she was good at her sport it's not an either or situation so you know um, but you know what I'm delighted about that there are so many strong female role models that I can choose yeah. for my daughter 100% you know? you notice that she's completely avoided the question yes, yes. successfully because <laughs> anyway. I think we've run out of time thank it's you so much Gabby guys thank you for coming thank you so no, much fun. that was great thank you I loved it. We did that interview in um, Gabby's hotel room, but actually her colleague's hotel room. Yeah, Gabby said that her room was too much of a a bomb site because she'd thrown her clothes Uh, everywhere. And it was, I was surprised, I'm not going to lie, that that is what the BBC pays for when you're abroad doing the World Cup. The other thing is... And do you think that's just for the Women's World Cup? Do you think if it was for the men's? I can't imagine Gary Lineker in that room. I just think Gary Lilica and Alan Shearer... They would have had a proper <laughs> I Mandarin... Think, I think there'd be a slight Four seasons. Hotel. And it wasn't just the room, it was the fact that we had to be in the room because they said they had no meeting rooms. Yeah. They, they wouldn't turn the crap music off in the restaurant. No. Uh, so, and Gabby... It's the glitz and glamour, isn't it? Well, of... I th- what I thought was interesting was that Gabby was really, really nice, gave, a, gave us loads of her time... I'd obviously thought about it and what have you, but I got the feeling just a little bit at the end of her tether in terms of where they're traveling and, and all yeah. the traveling because she actually said that was not the worst hotel they've been in. Well, exactly, and they're moving every day, aren't they? Well, they're moving every few days. I think she said they're moving every other day. Yeah, yeah. and um, it's a hard, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a long grind. That it's a long tournament that, uh, and they haven't, they haven't to churn stuff out kind of every day. I don't listen. She's not complaining, but I think that I do think that the BBC commitment to the World Cup has been great. And uh, yeah, it has. But that was also a really great conversation on women's football because talking to Gabby, who is doing the Women's World Cup, who's been presenting football mainly men, men's football, and obviously sport for a long time, really says she thinks it's changing and that she thinks that the World Cup's changing. It's that. definitely changing. Um, and it's so exciting to hear that from someone. And also afterwards when we were in the bar and we saw Hope Solo. Yeah. That was cool. She's she was bigger. the US goalie in Former the Olympics. Former goalkeeper now on the beam, yeah. She was really cool. Very cool. Um, but there, just, there was this feeling, you know, being with Gabby, not judging from her hotel room, but being with Gabby that really this World Cup is changing women's football. Well, I, I was speaking to somebody who... Um, was telling me about one of the one of the women's football clubs in the in England that has just been absolutely inundated with people, women, young women wanting to get involved, and and actually it'll be interesting to see whether that infrastructure is there to be able to take on what hopefully will be a great a great expansion. Um, so it's it's really really sad that Scotland are out, particularly the way they went out. But I think for the Beeb to have England in there, obviously as long as possible, you'll you'll see the audiences grow. I think it's quite irritating, Grace, the way that you're suddenly pretending that you kind of know about football when you've spent 25 years. That's so, that is so nothing. unfair. I've never said I know loads about football. I've never Rise said that. Rise to the bait. Rise to the bait. No, no, no. It's so patronising because what oh, I love, oh. what I love is watching women play football and what I love is supporting something that I know is about to change because people are supporting it. That's why I'm, I mean, I love watching it as well, but... I'm supporting the Women's World Cup because we need to support the Women's World Cup because we need to change the way that we view women's sport. So that is, on a bigger picture, why I'm getting so into the Women's World Cup. As I also do enjoy it, and England are playing really well, so that makes me happy. Good. And I think it was also the fact that Gabby was so open about other things, you know, and, and particularly the, the, the effect of, of her brother's death. I mean, that must, I just can't imagine what that was like for all of them. Um, that thing that she said about um, 75% of parents mm. split up after they lose a child was very <sighs> sad. It's a sad statistic, isn't it? Mm. Um, 
But she's very open about that. She's very open about everything. Yeah, it was a really, really enjoyable conversation. And I do feel so excited that it's going out while England are still in. And let's hope hope that they stay in. Scotland are out, but England are in. And let's hope that they continue. Go all the way. I have to I did a... When I, I did a French telly thing when, when we were out there, and uh, I don't think the French were very happy because I was they asked who I thought was going to win. I did say Americans, and I think the Americans are. Yeah, they are. But anyway, um, that is that. That is that. Thank you very very much for listening. Please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. This podcast is a Pink Protest production. And if you're wondering where the fantastic music comes from, it's by my favourite Scottish band, Skipinish. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.